Hi, I'm Michael Williams, Artistic Director of Sydney Writers' Festival. This recording and the festival itself take place on the unceded lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to ancestors and elders, past and present. Michael Williams. Annabelle Crabb. I've just unpacked the program for the Sydney Writers' Festival. I've received it into my trembling hands and uh, it's like a showbag. I feel ultimately like that's what a festival should feel like, where you're like, okay, not everything in it is going to be for you. You're going to go through and say, how is there a polywaffle in here right. in this day and age? Totally. <laughs> but so also, you know there's a sibling somewhere in the family who's like yeah. delighted by the rejected, you know, caramello koala. Yeah. There's you, always a kid who fine. likes those yellow banana lollies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. me. Or the kid at school who likes the weird rubber inflatable thing that defines the smell of the show bag oh, forever. that was me. Yeah, big fan. I was in it for the rubber thing. What Do you have a memory of a favourite, like a giant hammer or something? Uh, no, a, a mash comedy baseball bat, inflatable. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I can Amazing. smell it now. Yeah, no, no, the smell is very distinctive. I kind of, to a certain extent, when I started working in literary programming, one of the things I remembered was as a kid going in kind of whatever it was, National Book Week, to Dallas Brooks Hall in Melbourne mm-hmm. for what was essentially a book trade show. Mm-hmm. And so it was a bit like a show meets going to the library. And yeah. I thought this was the platonic ideal of how to spend your time, surrounded by authors that you loved and other readers and just wandering the halls and seeing the scholastic stand and there's the puffin stand the and there's the... Stand. And it just, I remember that joy, that kind of visceral joy. And I think going into literary events as an adult, I was like, I want that feeling. I want that feeling where you're walking around and it's wonderland for a book lover. Well, let me tell you, this program is just full of popping weirdness and depth and fascination. And we've already digressed wildly. And I haven't even said, you know, we should start with when the festival is, right? That That is true. The festival <laughs> is from the 16th to the 22nd of May. Right. Well, there, we've got the important detail down. Tell me what the theme is of this year's festival. I mean, I'll interrupt in advance by saying it's been a wild two years that you've been on board for this thing. And um, last year was like this miracle of presence after a year of absence from each other's lives. And um, your theme last year was Within Reach, which was such a beautiful and um, it was a lovely feel to be back within reach of each other again. So what's the theme this year? Look, To a certain extent, I feel really lucky. I got brought on to kind of um, help the festival out during the COVID years where it was very uncertain what a festival could be and what was going to be possible. And so, as you say, last year, celebrating that coming together felt front and centre. The festival didn't happen in 2020, Mm. so there was something a bit miraculous about the idea of gathering and Within Reach was uh, designed to celebrate that. Now, it kind of happened between lockdowns as well, right? I mean, I I still can't understand quite how we managed to skate through and and have a festival. It was in that little window (laughs) where where Sydney was the land COVID forgot, where people were just out, you know, there were people going to barbecue shops having low-key COVID, but nothing that was shutting down the city. We were able to Why did that change? Mm. Yeah, no, what different times they were. But coming into this year, it was about thinking about 
going back to that same question, what's a festival for mm. and and why why do we gather? Why is this an important thing to do? And so our festival theme this year is Change My Mind. Mm. It's a little spikier than within reach. It's like uh, last year we were happy to come together and this year now we're ready to punch Enough on. Enough of the hugs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've seen you within reach and frankly I'm over you. <laughs> that's the underlying thing. Within reach for a stabbing. A hundred percent. That's the only reason you get someone within reach. But the, you know, amongst the various realities of putting on a festival at this time, one of them is uh, that we are right in the more of a general election, yeah. a federal mm-hmm. election here mm-hmm. in Australia. And, um, you, you know, that concentrated us on that question of what a festival is and the ways in which it's a counterpoint to the kind of public discourse that surrounds us everywhere mm. else, mm. the ways in which uh, from the doom scrolling to the white noise to the shouting at one another. Right. Um, it seemed to us that the way we talk, the way we disagree, the way we engage with one another um, is pretty exhausting and fundamentally not terribly productive. Right. I mean, I'm massively interested in this question of changing changing one's mind because in the area that I've spent a lot of my professional life around politics, changing your mind is a very hard thing to do. I mean, it's a hard thing to do elegantly, if at all, because we do reserve a special punishment for our political leaders who change their minds on things. There's no more acute insult in Australian politics than flip-flop, mm. um, whereas you would think that would be something to be encouraged. In fact, we have a session, in, not to jump around, but a session in the festival this year called I Was Wrong, the guiding mm. premise of which is they're the three hardest words to say in Australian public life. I love that session. Um, and, it, you know, that idea, it includes such luminaries as David Ma. Now, David Ma, beloved by our festival audiences and a man who is very clear in his own mind and runs a God, good Terrible. He always thinks he's right. So how thrilling will it be to see him stand up and reflect on something that he used to strongly believe and feel that through the course of either personal experience or compelling rhetoric or uh, direct action changed his mind on something fundamental? You know, I actually think that there is there's fertile ground for people who change their minds. I think when they're courageous enough to do it, I think sometimes they can be congratulated for it. And I think that happens in politics a lot. And there is this sort of savviness around politics that says that flip-flopping is a bad thing to do. But when you see it executed well, it's a rational human decision. And our, and what we do, our democratic system is all about sending a delegation of people to Canberra to change each other's minds about things to the extent that we come up with a rickety and, you know, generally unsatisfactory about the best we can do compromise. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing. That's why our festival theme is not change your mm. mind. Mm. You know, this is not uh, this is not a we're right, you're wrong. Mm. This is a suggestion. It's an invitation. It's mm. a, We're striking a tone. When you pick up a new book or you attend a cultural event or you meet a person for the first time, you should be going in with that open question, that kind of spirit of generosity and reciprocity that says, change my mind. My belief, my experience my perception of the world is not the sum total of things to know. And so if I'm meeting someone new, if I'm opening a new book for the first time, if I go in believing that I might be able to have my mind changed, then Mm. the possibilities are endless. Hey, one thing that the Sydney Writers' Festival has changed its mind about is the way it approaches the opening night address. Because in the olden days, it was usually a visiting writer, you know, our most distinguished visiting writer coming to Australia from abroad would be handed you know, the, 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 the lectern on the opening night of the festival and asked to deliver a lecture. But we've changed our mind about that, haven't we? Look, it, part of it came about through the necessity of COVID. You know, mm. we suddenly had to rethink what the presence of international writers meant to the Writers' Festival. This is 
a proudly international festival. One of the really exciting, thrilling things is getting access to writers that you don't normally get to see or hear from uh, from further afield. And that was denied to us in significant mm. ways uh, last year as a product of COVID. But it meant that we stopped and took stock and we thought about what it is to set an agenda and what it is to set a tone mm. that, you know, underlies what's going to happen in the rest of the program. This year, we have about a dozen or so internationals joining by video link-up, uh, including three far-flung Australians, um, Warren Ellis, Yasmin Abdel-Majid, mm. and Steve Toltz are joining us via video link-up. So um, cool. We have three in-person internationals this year. So we have uh, last year's Booker Prize winner, Damon Galgut. Mm, stop. I know. In it, my brain, he's, he's so always good. called Sir Damon Galgut. He sounds like he should have a sir. And look, I, I, he carries himself like a man he who does. is sainted one yeah. way or the other, if not knighted. What a great name. Uh, Damon Galgut is a good name. Another good name is Hanya Yanagahara. Wow. Who joins us That's in That's a person. huge name. Um, her second book, To Paradise, came out earlier this year. Uh, she was a guest of the festival back when the millions of copies selling A Little Life mm. came out. It'll be great to have her back on the ground. And this amazing woman who kind of embodies our festival theme this year, Derricka Purnell, who's a um, legal academic kind of activist writer. She worked for years in uh, law reform in the States in looking at ways to overhaul uh, the systems of justice there mm. and a lot of kind of chats with people, first-person experiences, and through the course of it, she changed her mind powerfully and has written a book called Becoming Abolitionist about that journey from being someone who believed that reform was not just necessary but possible mm. to believing that you needed to tear it all down and start mm. it again. So those three come in person. They're people who we don't normally get to hear from and they're going to be here. But when we thought about it, we thought that's still not how... We want to open the festival. Mm. The festival needs to open uh, with people who powerfully set an agenda for the conversations that we're having here, the ways in which we need our minds to be changed and our minds to be changeable. And so we're hearing from three extraordinary women this year. Ali Cobby Eckerman, the South Australian poet, uh, winner of the Wyndham Campbell Prize, who is um, one of the, the most powerful performers I think I've ever seen. Um, uh, Jackie Huggins, academic and historian from Queensland. Uh, she has re-released her book of essays from about 40 years ago, and she's just astonishing. And Nadi Simpson, whose Songs of the Crocodile uh, was one of the great novels of last year and who's also an amazing musician. And so the three of them are each going to come and deliver something pretty special, I think. Yeah. I, last year, I think, as I sat there and, for example, listening to Evelyn Araluen, who, you know, is a very young and prodigiously talented Australian poet, I thought, this is fantastic. Like, I just felt that um, rather than feeling like the festival was turning inwards, it was actually exhibiting outwards this deep talent that exists in Australia. And I actually thought, well, when we when we have international guests returning to Sydney Writers Festival, wouldn't it be wonderful for them to be in the audience to to discover something about the, the country that they're visiting. I feel the same. One of the things that COVID has done to the way we program and the way we think about the festival is the rise of digital events means that, um, to a certain extent, literary events are more ubiquitous than ever before. You know, mm. you can, if you're a Ooh. fan, um, you know, if you're a fan of Damon Galgut, let's say, you can uh, jump online and watch, you know, any one of dozens of interviews he did after he won the Booker last year. You've got some you really good listen interviews. To them. Amazing interviews. <laughs> Frighteningly you can, good. <laughs> you, you go through it. Well, you had that experience with Rachel Cuss last year. I know. I'm still 
wetting my pants a bit about that. You, you were <laughs> sensational. You don't need to be nervous anymore. It's no. already happened. I, I promise. I still have panic dreams about it. But what it means is that when we program people, and it's true of local authors, it's true of international authors, it's true of panels or interviews, the onus is on us to make something that's only happening here, that could yeah. only happen in Sydney in May of 2022. You know, festivals need specificity. They need to belong to the time and place where they're happening. And so Damon Galgut, for example, is interviewed by his longtime uh, friend, correspondent, colleague, a writer who he admires enormously, Michelle de Kretzer. So good. That conversation's not happening anywhere else. I did not know that that relationship existed. That is so interesting. They're big fans of each other's work. So, wow. Um, so it promises to be a great one. Get a room. I yep. know, totally. They're going to get room. a room. That room is City Recital Hall. <laughs> um, you can join them in that room. <laughs> this moved away from a show metaphor to I something know. else. Wow, I think. It's, it got awkward, didn't it? Um, so while we're talking about big rooms, um, I always look forward to, see, to seeing what you do with the Sydney Town Hall for those giant events. What's happening this year? Uh, so we're doing a few things. The first thing that I would say, if you are eagerly running to swf.org.au to book your tickets, you might notice that the Saturday night at the town hall is not on sale at the moment. Uh, the uh, the traditional Sydney Writers' Festival debate, uh, which Annabelle was so memorable in last year, is going to happen again. The theme for the debate this year is Words Don't Change Minds, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and the Poetry Gala with actors of the stage and screen reciting favourite poems. That was so wonderful happen. last year. Look, they were two highlights of last year. We're yeah. very excited to be doing them again. But... We don't, at time of recording, at time of releasing the program, we don't know yet whether the 21st of May will be the federal election or not. So there are two possible dates for that double bill. One right. is the 21st, the other is the following Wednesday oh. at Sydney Town Hall. It will go on sale. Keep an eye on the website. Keep an eye on the social media. Those two will go on sale the second we know when election night is. Um, <laughs> but on the Thursday night we're in the Town Hall and we have the traditional storytelling gala. Uh, the storytelling gala is always a highlight because it's a, a bunch of a dozen or so writers it's engaging with the theme. Sneaky way, uh, it's a very cheap night out to get access to great writers. It's like a little degustation. Menu. Oh yeah, no, mm. a degustation menu meets showbag is a hundred percent. Honestly, a showbag that had an anchovy on a little bit of bread, I'd be so happy. I'd be there. That's all I want. Just pluck it out and smell a rubber, but I'll eat it anyway. <laughs> Um, it, look, it's great for that. You get to hear from a dozen writers. But the other thing I love about it is the eclecticism. Each of those yeah. dozen approach the theme in a different way. Some go with polemic. Some go with, you know, moving personal story. Some get up and tell a joke. And it, it's such a wonderful way to do it. The lineup this year is phenomenal. It is a second opportunity to see Galgut and Yanagahara, but you can also see local writers like Omar Musa, Chelsea Wotego, uh, Morris Gleitzman, uh, Amanda Laurie, Jazz Money. It's a phenomenal lineup. So that's on the Thursday night at the town hall. Uh, but immediately before that, we are doing something new and something weird mm -hmm. this year, which I am always happy about. I like weird stuff. I like weird stuff too. Casey Bonetto, who wrote Keating the Musical, who genius. is a bona fide genius, um, came to me and we were having a conversation about music theatre. We were talking about the death of Sondheim and whether there was right. some way to memorialise it. And he said, well, you know, the interesting thing about music theatre is so many of the greats come from adaptations of literature, if you think about it. Right. You know, okay. Lin-Manuel Miranda reads a yeah. political biography yeah. on holiday. A really obscure one. It's <laughs> such totally. a great story, isn't it? Andrew Lloyd Webber thinks there's something uh, decent about T.S. Eliot's yeah. light verse about cats and, <laughs> and away you go. This happens again and again. And Casey says, 
running a hypothetical and he said, well, what are the great lost works of literary adaptation for musical theatre? He said, for example, you know, my uh, funk opera Mockingbird exclamation mark and the uh, song at the end of Act One, My Name is Boo. He was like, you know, I, I could write that song. I can picture the whole musical. I can picture the character introduction. No. And... And so we were laughing about this and he said, you know what, I think if we went out and we asked some of the finest singer-songwriters in Australia uh, what oh. their lost literary adaptation for the stage was, they would go away and write us something wonderful. And so they are doing just that. No way. A cavalcade of musical stars. Casey will be joined on the stage by a band and three music theatre performers. There's going to be costume changes. There's going to be performances of these songs. Uh, you know, slap exclamation mark. You can see the musical already. <laughs> One, one musician who shall remain nameless, his response was, I've always wanted to do a rockabilly musical based on Patrick Suskin's perfume. Oh. And I have a song in mind. Like Scratch I know straight sniff. away what I want to do. So it it is bonkers. It will be a bonkers night of theatre at Sydney Town Hall, but uh, musical fictions. Uh, I predict that you're getting on the ground floor of uh, the next great musical. Casey Bonetto needs to have his brain preserved. I mean, we need to work on that. We it do. is a ridiculous organ, that brain. Look, I, my hope is that Sydney Writers' Festival is just the institution in which to pickle it. So <laughs> we'll see how we go. Listen, one thing that I think the festival did really well last year was actually mess around with that conventional idea of festival events being, you know, an interviewer, and an interviewed, like the famous writer and then the interviewer who is, you know, an academic or a journalist or whatever. Um, and instead you started putting writers together, you know, like wine and cheese or prosciutto and rock melon. It, it was, honestly, the food metaphors, you're killing me here. I may have skipped breakfast. <laughs> and every time you say something else, I'm like, oh, degustation, okay, prosciutto and melon, yes, I'm ready. It's, um, I will do this. Um, no, it was, again, it was one of those things that sprang out of a response to the different landscape with mm. COVID. You know, the ubiquity of digital events meant that you're unlikely to be the first time someone had seen this all to talk about ubiquitive? That, is that a you, word? No, I said ubiquity of, but oh. I, I, I just drawled my words. Yeah, I you thought know, barrels ubiquitive. Past. I don't mind it. Ubiquitive is all right. You know, Annabelle Crabbe, she's terribly ubiquitive. <laughs> Shut up. I'm very tired. That does work. You're ubiquitive. And yet you still keep inviting me. <laughs> Come back again. You'll be fine. Just push through. Um so, no, part of it was about trying to create something singular, but the other part of it was that the best things in festivals happen when, you know, someone's on the publicity trail promoting their mm. book. At some point they've answered the obvious questions yeah, uh -huh. a lot of times. They kind of get what the shape of the interview is going to mm -hmm. be. And it doesn't mean they're not still good or interesting. Tell or us great. about your process. It's, you know, where do you get your ideas from? Um, whereas the second you put them on a stage with another artist... It goes in unexpected directions. Mm. And the crucial thing for us with these dual spotlights was not to try and shoehorn unnecessary comparisons between books. Mm. In some cases, it's quite okay if the writers or the works are quite unalike. You know, the, the point is not to make them the same. It's a little bit like when Graham Norton has two mm. guests come in one after yeah. another on the couch. You know, they'll come in at the same time, but it is effectively two parallel interviews yeah. that then, uh, when it works, dovetail yep. and bounce off each other and spark. So um, I'm trying to think of a good example from this year's program. Um, well, for example, Brian Brown and John Fain. Yeah. Two quite different personalities. Brian's book is 
crime short stories. So good. John's non-fiction mm-hmm. about people he met during his legal career. On paper, these are quite unalike mm. projects, but both of them are celebrated storytellers in their mm. chosen field, one through broadcast, one through uh, performance, uh, and they're now turning those storytelling yarn-spinning skills to the page. Mm. So mm. straight away you've got a kind of trajectory that lends itself to looking at commonality and looking at difference, and I think it'll make for a really interesting event. And so we have... I think sort of Victorian politics meets the Shirley a hundred percent. Victorian politics is a lot like the Shirley. <laughs> it's a bit, being abandoned. We're all led by the hands down a dusty road somewhere. Um, the and so there's some kind of sixteen or seventeen of them in the program this year, and they are amongst the um, the most exciting kind of literary events and literary programming that I've been lucky enough to be associated with. Where you just get to go, oh wow, you know, yes, I'm interested in hearing from. Charlotte Wood, but Charlotte Wood talking about uh, creative process and what it means for a life alongside Amanda Laurie talking mm. about the labyrinth and the role creativity plays in mental health for the characters in that book suddenly pushes that into very different territory. Or Maxine Beneba-Clark and Omar Musa. Right. That's you know, a great matchup. Well, And also those two being interviewed by Evelyn Araluen. Mm. I mean, there you get to sit in a room and see three of the uh, the most impressive poets working in Australia today kind of bouncing off each other and it'll be really singular. I love this but not forget forgotten um, program item. Program, I have no words. What Program item is good. Program item. <laughs> Tell me. But not forgotten. What that? What is that one about? It's leapt out at me. But not forgotten is uh, something that we started last year, and it became a really kind of valuable, powerful way of eulogising writers who have died in the kind of twelve months before the festival. Um, so it's like that that bit in the Oscars where they flash up people, but not awful. One hundred percent. It's the in memoriam package, yep. but we're we're not kind of relegating the uh, key grip mm. to the fifteenth slot. Yeah, we're just not acknowledging the key grip of literature. That's a problem. Wow. Actually, now I think about it. Um, but not. Forgotten came about last year because we wanted a way to memorialise authors who'd been gone. And particularly with a theme like Change My Mind, it seemed important to think about that question of influence Mm. and about the people who have changed our mind through their work and what their loss means as we kind of proceed in our careers. And so whether it's Melissa Lukashenko talking about Kerry Hume or Sarah Krasnerstein talking uh, about Joan Didion, by hearing writers talk about the writers who are influential to them, we feel like we get a whole different level of conversation. Jackie Huggins on bell hooks. Uh, yeah, that, that is amazing. And Jackie Huggins has some very uh, wonderful and specific stories about bell hooks. Uh, there will probably be a fourth with them uh, to be announced. We're keen to have our Sondheim moment on the stage. Oh, gosh, you can't you can't be stopped, can you? Well, you know, he wrote cryptic crosswords as well as musicals. That's, that's, uh, that's a But I think that, that's thing. definitely relatable. Like, I mean, musicals are a bit like crosswords, aren't they? I mean, it's about getting things that fit perfectly and make you thrill. And about play. Yeah. Like you're just playing at all times. It's a, it's a good thing. I am as excited to share this program as I am to share my daily Wordle score. And oh. I feel like that was the benchmark I needed. Sure. It was just, you know, th- this had to be Wordle level of exciting. Oh, my gosh. I'm very excited about Wordle every single day because, as I explained to my teenage daughter this morning, who was saying... Um, God, I wish there were just more wordles. I wish I could do more. And I said, no, because the one a day that everyone's doing at the same time is about the only thing that we're all thinking about consistently at the same time. I mean, it's a it's a remarkable unifying phenomenon. It is. To a certain extent, it's a useful metaphor for a writer's festival. It is. In that it takes a very solitary activity yep. and works out how to turn it into a communal experience. Right. 
That, yeah. that was nicely done, yeah, Michael. Yeah, Wordle. Yeah. There you go. Maybe that should be our festival theme. <laughs> it's too late to change it. Got it in two. Change my theme. Sydney Writers Festival. What's your starter word? Mm. What's mm. your starter word? Same every day or? No, it used to be the same every day. I used to go train every day. Oh, and train. then I've I've since mixed it up. I started with Trist today. Oh, no vowels. Okay. I was living on the edge. And two Ts. You really blew a couple of consonants there. You no, know, it, it was fine. Got there in four. <laughs> I did one in um, the middle of the night and I woke up thinking pesto is my first word. It was a disastrous oh. choice. I only skated out in six. It was Such a shame. very frightening. I was I feared for my streak. Right. Now, there's a couple of writers, um, internationals, uh, about whose appearance I am inordinately excited and one of them is Rebecca Solnit. Rebecca Solnit has been on my dream program oh, yeah. list for many, many years. She is an extraordinary philosopher, feminist scholar, a writer. Her books are phenomenal. It's really interesting looking back at uh, her classic of about 10 years ago, Hope in the Dark, mm. and thinking about how much uh, that is a book for our times right mm. now, how much she anticipated uh, what conversations about hope and belief and community might look like. She's an astonishing writer. Her most recent book is called Orwell's Roses, about yeah. beauty and politics. Um, the idea that we might be able to talk about beauty and politics during a federal election seems yep. to me to be a very good thing. I'm not sure that this space will be overcrowded with discussions of beauty in this campaign, so yeah. we should have a good, clear no. field for no, that. No, because we're so busy being focused on truth instead. Yes, <laughs> indeed. And the other person is Johan Hari, because I'm reading his book right now, Stolen Focus, and it is... Um, Phenomenal. Yeah. Look, uh, Hari, uh, long-time fans of the festival will remember Johan Hari from his previous visit. He's a, a friend of the festival, definitely. But his new book is about the question of modern attention spans. And so um, it couldn't be more timely. It's such a great kind of connecting tissue with our theme. And uh, mm. it's, a, it's a cracker of a book. It's really interesting the way we think. He's a great mind changer, Johan Hari. Um, I like the way he considers the... The, I mean, he picks a big barn door-sized issue, takes a massive gallop up to it, and but he really sniffs it from every angle, doesn't yeah, he? And no, that's such a good, you know, and also those ideas where you're like, oh, I've been thinking about this or talking right. about this, or, and now here's someone who's really kind of drilling down. Right, and the thing is, I actually think, you know, how I think that that many people in this era, um, and certainly myself included, bumble around thinking, what is wrong with my brain? What mm. is wrong with my brain? Am I getting premature dementia? What's happening? I think we're all in a level of distress, confusion and overstimulus, but we tend to think because our mental state is essentially a private thing to us, it's not visible to anybody else unless we're sort of foaming at the mouth or something, um, you think, what's wrong with me? This is a problem of mine. And I think the most revelatory thing about reading Hari's book is understanding that this is a universal phenomenon. Yeah. Um, which is an oddly reassuring thing. It doesn't make the problem any less difficult. But to know that it's silently shared by many, many other denizens of this globe is comforting. I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, one of the things he writes about really compellingly that relates to the way we want to program a festival is that thing about uh, how easy it is to skim across the surface of many things, yep. to be a little bit of an expert on a million topics right. rather than a deep expert on anything. Well, we're all anything. epidemiologists. We, we are. So we have a session this year called Everyone's an Expert that looks explicitly at that idea, the ways in which in modern discourse, 
expertise is politicised, it's shunted aside. Yeah. Um, casual expertise is tri- triumphs if it fits a particular narrative. Yeah. And and so what we kind of hope that we can do, coming back to what it means to program during an election at this point in time, is trying to think about what a kind of deeper look or a deeper conversation might look like, how we hear from people who know their stuff in areas in which they are well-informed, passionate, smart, entertaining. Um, and that that's a kind of key part of it. Can I just pull a little lolly bag item from your show bag? Because last year I went to a bunch of sessions and one of the ones that just thrilled me to my little cotton socks was Chrissy Neen on fungi. Yeah. So the Curiosity series which is a little free gift with purchase that happens in and around the festival, is writers that you know giving you a little talk about something that you had absolutely no idea they were obsessed with. And as I kind of glance through the curiosity program (laughs) that's dotted through the festival over its days, I just am absolutely thrilled. So, for instance, George Haddad on why he stopped going to the barber. Fiona Murphy on My Life as a Walking Stick. There's another couple of great ones that I'm just... Clem Ford on Steel Magnolias. Oh, yes. Also, Sarah Walker on The Joys of Being Absolutely Shithouse at Sport. It's wonderful. I mean, obviously we're very happy to get the word shithouse into the program. uh, But, no, the nicest thing about the way the Curiosity Lectures work is that we go to these wonderful writers who have agreed to be part of the program and we say, do you have a strongly held idiosyncratic view that you're desperate to share with us? So Damien Cave, who is the Australian Bureau Chief for the New York Times, Massive fan of Curious George. What? And thinks, yep, the monkey and the man with the yellow hat. And and thinks he can build that into a half-hour lecture about why these are an essential set of values that we need to kind of uphold today. So it, it is, they are so fun. The way that we program them last year and will again this year is they go for half an hour. So events end on the hour. You've got 15 minutes to get down to the curiosity stage. You can sit and watch an entire curiosity lecture for free before you head off and go into your next session. So So sit and eat a sandwich and watch some of the great minds of our generation driven to madness. It's just magic. Damien Cave, brain the size of a planet, interested in a monkey. Yeah, but what a monkey. So curious, so optimistic. I mean, it's a great monkey. You yeah, know, no mistake about it. I, I have to go to that one because Curious George books are ones that I wound up hiding from my kids oh. because they're just so interminable. Oh, well, look, they're not the worst. I mean, Richard Scarry is Oh, my is God, just... Richard Scarry is a criminal. And I remember, I remember when I was growing up, my mum and dad used to read Richard Scarry books to me and they used to hate it. And now as a, as a parent, I fully understand why. And I wedge those books back in the back of the – they find them – and it's just, they're so good, but yeah. they take so long. There is a thing about parental patience, which is very hard. Oh. It is worth noting, though, while we're on parental patience, that mm. the festival's traditional family day on the Sunday oh, yeah. and all-day YA on the Saturday are bigger and better and more sensational than ever. Um, there are a lot of terrific guests in both those programs, but also kind of some key moments. Morris Gleitzman uh, talking about the final book in his incredible series that began with Once mm. uh, 15 years ago. Um, but also uh, some unlikely writers for children and young adults. Uh, we have Sean McAuliffe talking about his book. We have Adam Goods talking about his. Uh, so uh, all your kids' favourite authors and some of those people who you will be delighted and surprised to find uh, dabbling in that world now too. 
Yeah, there's some very good YA action as well. And there's a sort of a, there's an event, a YA gala. Can you just talk us through that? There is a YA gala and it's a mock trial this year. So it's some of the country's best YA authors who are defending the villains of YA literature. Oh, YA is um, young adult in case anybody's just thinking, YA is... No, very good point. Is the MC missing? Like what's going on? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's right. (laughs) Look, that day is so great. And one of the things that's uh, so wonderful about the way that program works is our extraordinary head of kids and YA, Amelia Lush, works yeah. with a group of youth curators who are kind of avid readers and are the readers of this stuff. They, they sit and they Lush have endless workshops the and they put it together. talented enthusiasts I've ever met. She is just an extraordinary person. Honestly, one of the great thrills of coming to, I have loved Sydney Writers Festival for many years mm. as an audience member, as a person on its stage as a person in publishing and now as a member of the team and the sheer talent and brains behind the scenes. You know, the thing will happen is someone will ring and say, could it, could one of your team do blah, blah, blah? And it's like there's literally you can count on the fingers of three fingers the people in the programming, to, you know. Mm. And so someone like Amelia or Lydia Tasker or anyone in our team, the work they do is so phenomenal and it's been so nice to work alongside them. Yeah. Um. Now, I don't want to kill you off prematurely, but, I mean, this is your last festival, isn't it? It I is. Mean, here for a good time, not a long yep. time. Six uh, now. Sadly. Yeah. It's, um, look, it, I inconveniently, I, I do live in Melbourne. <laughs> so I, I sneak up here and pretend to be a Sydney person for a little bit each year just to do it, and I've loved it, but it was always going to be uh, just a couple uh, until COVID stopped making it really hard to do festivals yeah. again. So um, it's also one of the best jobs in literary programming yeah. in the world, and um I am sure they will find someone brilliant for it. Well, we were thrilled to nab you from Melbourne and keep you from your poor children. Um, (laughs) Not as thrilled as them. (laughs) But, look, this is just a, you know, it's a a great program. It really is. Oh, Julian Barnes. You want Julian Barnes? We've got to mention him. I mean, has anyone heard of him? We have Julian Barnes. We have Jennifer Egan. We have Sarah Winman. We have Art Spiegelman. We have Claudia Rankine. The, the cavalcade of people in there is wonderful. I do want to quickly mention our closing night address, which is the extraordinary Chloe Hooper. Oh, um, right, yes. Chloe is um, is a wonderful writer. People will have read her from uh, The Tall Man to The Arsonist mm. to Child's Book of True Crime. Her new book, which comes out, it's not out yet, but it will be out before the mm. festival. Have you read it? Yes, I have. <gasps> and it, it honestly, the moment I put it down, I picked up the phone and rang Chloe and asked if she'd do our closing night address. It is one of the best Australian books I've read in a very long time. Wow, what's it about? It is called Bedtime Story and it is Chloe's partner, Don, was diagnosed uh, with a particularly aggressive Mm. uh, cancer uh, about 18 months ago and they had to work out how to tell their kids about their dad's diagnosis Mm. and talk to them about mortality and young kids. And so Chloe turned to children's stories and literature to think about the way we talk to kids about death and and the from C.S. Lewis to uh, Grimm's fairy tales to all these different places. How, how do we mm. use story to give kids an understanding of life and death and their place in the world? And it's, a, it's an incredibly personal book. Um, it's incredibly moving, but it is at its heart about the ways in which we use story to construct the world and our understanding of it. And it'll be a beautiful um, beautiful way to kind of bring to a close our Changing Minds Festival. Michael, one of the things that you did last year that was really wonderful was you had a debutante's ball of authors that have been 
released books during the pandemic. And I think we're only now working out what the long-term ramifications of that were for many writers. I mean, we all as punters think of writers' festivals as fun things to go to and a great way to spend a few days um, in the May sunshine in Sydney. But um, for writers, it's the way that they seed their, their work into the air, right? Because a bunch of people see their session, tell their friends, they get interviewed and away it goes. But that didn't happen when we didn't have festivals over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's funny, during COVID, book sales were okay. Mm. You know, I mean, the, the industry did it tough in a range of ways, but book sales remained all right. But if you kind of scratch the surface of that data, of course, the book sales that were good were the known quantities. A new mm. Sally Rooney, mm-hmm. a new Jonathan yeah. Franz, and a, yeah. a new Leanne Moriarty, who's in the program, by the way. Um, uh you know, these these books did well because they were known quantities. If you can't go and browse, you buy the stuff mm. that you know. Mm. Um, so if you're a debut author and, you know, you had your first novel or your memoir, you know, they hit the shelves for the first time, you couldn't get a book launch, you couldn't get a tour, you couldn't get a writer's festival, you weren't amongst your peers, you weren't bubbling up to the surface. And so the real danger was that that word of mouth wasn't there mm. to support your book. Mm. So we threw a debutante ball. Um, because that is the traditional in Australia way to celebrate people being <laughs> so introduced good. to society. So good. There was taffeta, there were sashes. sashes. It was it was so much fun. Um, and it, I was at Adelaide Writers Week at the start of March and multiple writers came yeah. up to me to say, hey, I just wanted to say I was at the debutante ball last year and it meant so much. Yeah. And, you know, we have a WhatsApp group where we keep in touch That's and so we're cool. all working on our next book and and checking in. We had hoped it would only need to be a one-time thing. Obviously, COVID had other ideas. Yeah. So there is another crop of writers this year. It's on closing night. It is, um, it's very much for the writers, but yeah. I do encourage people who love books and love the discovery of new books. It's a great party. It's a lot of fun. But also what we told guests at the start of that was if you see someone in one of those pink sashes, don't, say hello. Debutante, don't just say hello. Go and say, tell me about your book. Yeah. Well, you've also um, brought back the favourites, favourites, which is another way of ushering these debut writers into a, uh, into a public space. Yeah, the kind of reversal of that question of influence, mm. actually. It's not just who are the writers who you've read that have shaped you as an established writer, mm. but then for established writers, who are the new people they're hearing mm. from that they want to champion and they want to rise up? And there are so many great debut writers in the program that, you know, it's very nice to be able to do something like you mentioned Evelyn Araluen before, mm. um, who did our opening keynote last year. You know, she's only brought out one book, which is already well and truly a festival favourite. Right. And so she's championing this first-time novel by a guy called Ennis Chahik um, called Sadvertising uh, that came out earlier this year. And it'll be a chance for Ennis Mm. to kind of step up and Mm. become one of the new favourites within the festival. And so... I want to see Hannah Kent and S.J. Norman. Yeah, I I want to see Annabelle Crabb and A.L. Campbell. I think that'll be good. I've heard Annabelle Crabb does a very good job of these things. Well, Campbell's book is just one that I read um, and haven't stopped thinking about. It's an absolutely extraordinary debut. It is that thing I love is that there is a conventional wisdom that says, oh, people don't read debut fiction or they don't take around. We go to people, including you, and we say, okay, so we've got this list of the ones that have come out in the past year. And without fail, 
they come back and they say, well, it's got to be that one. I read that and I loved it. Or mm. that, that's the one mm. that really stayed with me. And mm. it's a really nice, really organic way to make sure that, you know, a festival is about reconnecting with those authors and ideas and books that you already know you love. But it's also about discovering the new ones. And I think this program is absolutely packed with ways that you're going to discover your next favourite author. And get over the federal election. Fingers crossed. Okay, um, I really should mention that, um, again, that the festival dates are 16th to the 22nd of May, right in the pocket. Um, And you can get tickets to all of these sessions at swf.org.au. That's swf.org.au. I'm sold. And so um, I would recommend a combination of jumping in quick and snapping up the tickets to the things that you that you know are going to sell out that you don't want to miss out on, err on the side of um, profligacy, I think, um, on this front. And then the other way to enjoy the festival is just to turn up and wander around and you just run into those sessions. Sometimes there are, you know, ticket deals and there's free lectures like the Curiosity ones, which are just a miraculous little surprise to stumble into. There's a good almost 20% of the program is free. So Mm. there is, if you're down around carriage works Mm. and you know you want to see something in the morning, make a day of it. Immerse yourself. There are things to discover. There are things in family day, for example, the big backyard space is, you know, your kids will not have a better day and you don't have to spend a cent on that. So there's lots of ways to kind of engage at all different levels. Plus there's food and wine and there's a bookshop. There's very harried-looking festival staff. I mean, whatever your poison, they're all there. (laughs) Human stress. I love the smell of it. So much. Magnificent. (laughs) Maybe some fist fights. Who can say? We're going to change minds. I was was talking through the theme with a friend of the festival uh, the other day, and I said, you know, the theme has changed my mind. And she looked at me and she said, inspirational persuasion. And I thought, that's exactly the kind of... A divide through which we're thinking about what we're doing here. We're going to look at the the ways in which we have our mind changed through joy of reading, through kind of uh, through inspiration in many different ways, and also the art of persuasion, from argument to disagreement to activism to all the things in between. Well, I think I speak for the entire New South Wales reading population when I say thank you, Michael Williams, for riding in on your. Uh, pony um, a couple of years ago when everything went to custard um, because you have inspired and persuaded us, I think, and um, you've done a bloody good job of this festival and this program's a cracker and I can't wait for those days in May. Neither can I. It is a lot of fun. The only other thing I would add is if you're outside Sydney and getting to Sydney is going to be a problem, uh, do have a look at our live and local program. It streams to venues across regional New South Wales and elsewhere in the country. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I am not going to be able to make the trip from Wagga to Sydney in May, uh, there is every chance that a local library, a local theatre is streaming select sessions from the festival. You can go along. Some of them, some of those partners are doing it for free. Some of them, it's a nominal price. But... Um, we really love what we do and we're not a walled garden. We want to share it around. And so if you think you can't get to it, if you think it's not for you, look again uh, because there is something in there. And there is nothing more unnerving for a festival participant than carrying on about something very intimate and then just remembering that there's like 100 people in Gosford also listening apart from the other people that are tuning in. It's the only way we stop people (laughs) saying rude things about Bathurst on the stage. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. Can't wait. Thanks, Annabelle.